morning, Riverside. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but I felt the Lord in this place this morning. Thank you to the band for just praising God. And, you know, every church is not blessed like that. So we might as well just praise God for the band. Amen. I'm honored this morning that, uh, as I said in the earlier service, that Pastor Ezra allowed me to come and bring forth a word this morning. Uh, and uh, I take it not for granted that he is comfortable sharing his pulpit and um, allowing God to use the men that he's called to bring forth his word. So thank you, Pastor Ezra. And I thank my wife for being so diligent and standing by my side and, you know, just uh, encouraging me as I try to do what God called me to do. Uh, thank Riverside for the people that have been praying for me as I go through my trials and tribulations with my health and knowing that God's working it out already, knowing that he's given me a peace that passes all understanding because people are praying for me. So thank you for those that know and are just encouraged by all the love that I felt. Uh, this morning, I've been asked to preach from Malachi 3, 13 through 18. Uh, so pray for me as I bring forth God's holy word and trust that he's going to do a new thing in our hearts. Uh, let me read Malachi 3, 13 through 18, and it reads like this. Uh, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have you spoken against, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking his morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. But then those that feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning, Lord, to ask you, O oh God, to open our hearts to what shall save the Lord, to help us to receive God, all that you have in store for us on this day, O oh God. I ask you now, O oh Lord, to hide me behind the cross, O oh God, that my, my words would not be mine of choice, God, but you would flow through me, through your Holy Spirit, O oh God, that you would speak to the people on this day, O oh Lord. Fill this sanctuary, God, with your Holy Spirit. We rebuke every spirit of the adversary that would try to block your word, O oh God. Have your way in this place as we come before your presence, O oh Lord. Speak to our hearts on this day. In Jesus' mighty name we say amen. Amen and amen. Today's sermon, God is listening. God is listening. We serve a God that is all-powerful and all-knowing. A God that is omnipotent and omnipresent. A God that knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts and he knows our conversations. A God that hears our arrogant speech and our prideful talk. A God that hears our condemnation and our judgment. 
God hears our murmurings. He hears our disrespect. He hears our self-righteousness and he hears our self-centeredness. God hears everything. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the Spirit that dwells in every believer is in the midst of every conversation that we have. Yet, even with our painful words towards God, he still does not abandon us, nor does he desire that any of us should perish. The first thing that God says in his book of Malachi, the very first thing he says is, I have loved you. If we heard some of the things that people say about us, the way we treat God, we'd probably be ready to fight. We'd probably be ready to call them outside and just dare them to talk about us like that. But sometimes in our conversation, we forget that God is listening. But the God that we serve, though he's wounded by our conversation, he, he still wants to have a relationship with us. He still wants to bless us richly. Keith, this, last week, he talked about when he's preaching on his, uh, the tithes and offerings. You know, at the end of that, he, God said, test me and see if you stop robbing me. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out my blessing on you. Then the nations will call you blessed. You see, God wants to bless us. And because he loves us, here he continues in this text to use his prophet Malachi to call out his priest, call them out of their unrighteousness and try to bring them into a right relationship with him. God says in verse 13, he says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. It wasn't Malachi that said this. It, it, it didn't come from David. It didn't come from a stranger. It was God Almighty saying to them, your words have been hard against me. You would think if the Lord said it, that would be good enough. But that was not the case because their hearts were hard. And immediately, as if God was deaf in one ear, they began to deny that he had they said those things. Denial of the sins they had committed and denial of the harsh conversation they had towards God. Boldly, they said, how have we spoken against you? Very irreverently and with pride and arrogance and without remorse. No, not me, never. I would never do that to you, God. But God was listening. Sin had taken root in their lives, and they no longer felt a regard to reverence God. They, they felt comfortable in their murmuring and their, their disgruntledness. They felt comfortable in their grumbling and their negative conversation against God. No longer revering him and respecting him. Sin had caused a numbness in their soul and in their hearts. And now it had manifested itself in an arrogance, public display of I'm better than God. But this is the God that we serve. He does not rebuke them for their response or kill them on the spot for their arrogance or leave them in disgust because he can't stand them anymore. 
He doesn't give up on them. Instead, he just gives them an answer that they can no longer defend. He said, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge and walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? How bold can you get? How bold can you get? How can they not see that it is their sin that has blocked the blessing, not God? How can they not see that what they were feeling were the consequences of their immoral choices? You see, maybe they thought they were going through a Job experience. Maybe they thought this was just a test of faith that God was putting upon them. And, you know, but they missed the point. Job was a righteous man. Job was a man who loved God, who feared God. Job was without blame and walked away from evil unlike the priest. Surely Job was stripped of everything, but God blessed him two times over because of his faithfulness. And Job never cursed God, not even through the loss of his family, not even through the loss of his health, not even through the loss of his wealth. No, they were not in the same company as Job. They had become comfortable in their sin and they now were blind to their polluted offerings. They were blind to their unfaithfulness to their wives. They were blind to the fact that they were robbing God of his tithes and offerings. And now they're blind to the conversations that are so harsh towards God. But God was listening. God wants to bless them so badly. He said in Malachi 2, 5, My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace a covenant of fear, and Levi feared me. Levi walked with me in peace and in uprightness. But these priests still had the nerve to ask, where is our prophet? We've been following your rules, God. We've been doing everything that the law commands, but we don't see any benefit in that. How dare they accuse God of not keeping his promise? when it was they, them, who were not keeping their promise. For God said to the priest in Malachi 1.13, this is your fault. Yet they still said, it is vain to serve God. It's worthless to serve him and keep his charge. How the bottomless pit of sin has a stronghold on them that they cannot even see. Finding fault with God while really not keeping his charge and not walking in humility or walking in his grace. They say we have kept your charge and walked as in mourning, but was their motive pure? You see, were they motivated by just obedience because they love God or because they were more concerned about what they could get from being obedient? It was clear that the motive was more about what they could gain and not about the love of God. They were right in their own eyes, thinking that they were doing the right thing, but the truth be told, they were living in sin and it was blinding them. Proverbs 21 and 2 says, Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart of the man. In their conversation, the cost of serving 
outweighed the reward that they thought they would get. It wasn't worth it to them anymore to serve God. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. In vain do they worship me. You see, God is listening. In verse 15, they continued in their hostility towards God. They continued to challenge God. And they said, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they still escape. I would ask them this question, is it not enough that God chose you as his chosen people? Is it not enough that he called you to be royal priests? Is it not enough that he called you to be a representative of him? When you didn't deserve it, is it not enough that God pulled you out of the wilderness, brought you out of bondage, delivered you from evil? Is it not enough? You're still looking for your prophet? When I brought you out of Babylon, you're still looking for your prophet? When I took you to the promised land, you're still looking for your prophet? How much more does God have to do for them to begin to acknowledge and see that the relationship with God is the real blessing and the only one that counts? Is it not enough that God didn't kill them on the spot for their own arrogance, their own abomination, that he had mercy on them even through this? When they begin to look for their blessing, they should look at God. And look at the glory that awaits for them. Look at the eternal promise that he has for them. The unaddressed sin in their lives had now taken hold and followed its course from disobedience and denial to pure complacency and to ultimate rejection and envy of the world. It's nothing new for Satan. That's his, that's his M.O., he doesn't come out right away and say, reject God, envy the world. He said, just taste a little bit of this apple. We have to be on guard for Satan's tricks. Disobedience is where it starts. God is listening. But be encouraged. When I went through this for myself, I couldn't say amen. I said, ouch. Because I could see myself in points in there where, yes, God, I see what you're saying. I, I need to clean my house. I need to get my house in order. No, it's not all your fault, God. As a matter of fact, none of it's your fault, God. But be encouraged, my brothers and sisters, because God said he loves us. All is not lost. There will always be a remnant. There will always be a faithful few. Those willing to walk upright. Those willing to carry the cross no matter what. There will always be a faithful few that says, go ahead, world, persecute me for, persecute me for Christ's sake. I'm okay with it because I got a home in heaven. There's always going to be a faithful few willing to serve because of what he's already done for me. Not for what I expect him to do. The fact that he brought me out of the dirt. The fact that he cleaned me up and brushed me off and gave me back to my wife. To say, here's the man you married. He's done enough for me already. There will be a faithful fruit who said, I have tasted the Lord and it is good. A faithful few that said, he has delivered me out of my mess. So I will work and serve just because I love him.
God is listening. Verse 16 reads, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those that feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Is your name in the book? Is the question we would have to ask. Is your name in the book? The people came together and spoke together with one another. In contrast to the naysayers, in contrast to the arrogant, in contrast to the prideful. There were a faithful few standard bearers, Jesus extremists, that said, you know what, we fear the Lord. And we will esteem his name no matter what. No doubt they came together to encourage one another in the trials and encourage one another as we go through the storms. Lifting each other up in tough times and speaking life and not death hopeless, instead of hopelessness into each other. How do I know that this was the case? Because God said he paid attention to them and he heard them and he put their names in the book. God is listening. He heard them, not in a passive way, but in a way that resulted in him moving closer to them. He heard them because he recorded their name for all eternity. The book was written to record those who esteemed him, not esteemed man. His move extended grace and mercy to those who would fear him. They came together as one. They came together to speak to each other. They came together to talk about the Lord. This is the example of the body of Christ in community with one another, helping one another to be steadfast and immovable, carrying the burden of one another. That is what community looks like for us. All of us will go through a period of a drought, a period of suffering, a period of the desert storm. Somebody will question, is it worth it? Somebody will say, I can't do it any longer. But that's why we have the body to come together to lift each other up. At some point, somebody might say, is loving that mean neighbor really worth it? Is esteeming others more than myself really worth it? Is, it? is staying in a marriage that looks dead really worth it? Is loving a boss that treats me like dirt really worth it? Is showing unconditional love for someone who has hurt me really worth it? Is extending myself to a wayward child really worth it? That's where the body comes in and says, yes, it's worth it. It's all worth it. God is worth it. We're coming together to say God is our strength and our refuge. He is our rock. We're going to stand together knowing that his promises are true, that everything works together for good, for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We will share that word with each other to build each other up, to lift each other up, to edify each other, reminding us. That God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he has the plan for our lives that we can't see now. The Lord is our sun and our shield, and he bestows favor on us. And no good thing will he withhold from us that walk up right before him. That is his holy word. When we come together as body, as a body, you see God is in the midst. He's in the midst of our conversation. He knows what we're talking about. He knows what we're sharing with each other. God is listening to what we're saying. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst also. There is power in fellowship. There is power in corporate prayer. But the greatest power is the power of the name of Jesus. And when he's in the midst of our conversation, when he's in the midst of our fellowship, there's nothing that can come against us. It is in community that we can be restored when we fall. It is in community that we can be reminded that no weapon formed against us will prosper. It is in community that the saints are reminded that in our struggles we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Surely everything does work together for good. But we may not see it in our time. It may not happen right away. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be a year from now. You may be on the other side of glory looking down and saying, God, I see what you are doing now. I see my grandchild walking towards you, God, giving her life to you because of what I did. I see my sons and daughters walking towards Christ because of what I sacrificed. We don't see it now, but the generations to come will know that we stood for something. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to that which is seen but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's why we can't look at the material things of this world. We have to look for the spiritual blessings that God has promised us. Peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the storm. Do not forsake the fellowship of the body of Christ, for no man can stand alone. The enemy's basic trick is to take you and sit you in a corner somewhere and have you separated from the body. As soon as you start feeling down, you want to stay home. No, come in fellowship. As soon as the storm comes, you want to separate yourself. The enemy would say, no, they don't, you're not going to hear anything there. You're not going to get anything there. People are going to look at you strange, but that's okay. Press forward anyway. Say, I want to be in the fellowship of the body. God, in his infinite wisdom, in Hebrews 10.24, said, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You see, to move one another to love and good works. Let us think about how to do that and not neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And he says, and all the more, do it more when you see the day drawing near. I don't know about you, but I see the day drawing near. I see wickedness creeping up. I see wickedness taking over. I, I see how the enemy is trying to take God out of the schools, how the enemy is take, taking, telling, telling the churches how to operate. The day is near. God is listening. And they spoke and he paid attention and he heard them and he was moved by their conversation. And in verse 17 he says, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And verse 18 says, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. The day is coming, saints, when there will be a judgment and the wicked 
will not prosper. But it's not a day for us to fear if we fear God. For the Lord said, if they fear me, they shall be mine and I will spare them. Now is not the time to quit serving. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to say I can't take it anymore. It's worthless. It's time to finish the race, to stay on the course and point your face towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, there is no need to fear the day that he's coming. For God said he would spare you. Because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, you will be able to be one of God's treasures. When the day comes and your service is over, because of the blood of the Lamb, here, called Lamb, called Jesus, he will give you a home in glory. You may not feel like God's treasure right now, but guess what? Because the blood covers you, because your righteousness is covered by Christ, it doesn't matter what you feel, the fact is you still belong to God. You are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are royal priests. You are joint heirs with Christ. No matter what the enemy would try to tell you when you're down, you get up and say, thank you, God, I'm one of your children. When Jesus appears in the clouds and the trumpet sounds, the truth will be told, the judgment will be weighed, and the wicked will not prosper. Your labor will not be in vain. So today is a new day, saints. God has presented us with another opportunity to get it right. The question is, which conversation will you be part of? Will you choose to speak harshly about God or will you choose a voice of reverence? Will your pride block your blessing or will your humility flow through your words? Uh, will you choose to be served or will you choose to want to serve? Will your motivations be for your gain or for God's glory? Will your words be those of denial or those of acceptance to say, God, I'm sorry? Will your focus continue to be on temporal things in this world? Or will your focus be on the things unseen, the spiritual blessings that await you? Will you forsake the fellowship of the body? Or will you embrace the safe haven of God-fearing saints? God is listening. God hears you. The question now is, what will you choose to do? You have a choice, and that choice is, I will follow Jesus. I will walk with the Lord. I will not give up. I will not throw in the towel. He's worth every cent. He's worth every penny. I'll give it all to him because I know, I know, I know that he will protect me. Jesus is available for all of us. Some of us can't figure out how to move forward past the, the other situation that has us bond and bondage. Jesus is the key. Jesus can take you out of that mess and put you in a new place. He can bring you into a new place where you feel like a new creature. Even when you've made mistakes, Jesus can fix it. But there's nothing impossible for God. The same power that heals your wounds and restores you to a rightful place is the same power that got Jesus out of the grave. He sits on high and he looks at us now and he says, just call out my name. Call out the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. God's word for God's people. Amen.